follow the marquee and come to the Monday matinee. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. and welcome to Sonic Society Season 12, Episode 492. I'm your host from the Wild West, Jack Ward. And I'm your host from the Exotic East, David Alt. Uh, well, <laughs> I never thought I would uh, consider merry old England as the Exotic East. Well, you're still part of the continent. You're probably more exotic than we are, but um, <laughs> I'll tell you what is exotic is what we share. Oh, that's the Sonic Society, the world's largest showcase of modern audio theatre. Oh, it's almost as if you'd written it down before you said it. Oh, Jack, no, no. <laughs> Speaking of eclectic, we're having some lovely congratulations from friends from the Sonic Society for our upcoming 500th episode. 500th episode? I know, I know. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Did I tell you how many total episodes that is? Uh, no. I actually got a count. Oh, go on. You ready for this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little drum roll. 698 episodes. 698. That includes all the summer episodes and any extra wow. seasons and stuff that we've done. So does this mean at the beginning of December we're going to be at episode technically 700? No, it's, it's 698 for the 500th episode, which is in January. Oh, so right, it, okay. it'll be by the end of January that we actually hit technically 700 episodes. Wow. <laughs> it's, inc- it's incredible. It's, it is. It's it really is incredible. Congratulations, though, yes. And congratulations <laughs> to both of us. Mm. I hope a lot more audio clips come. We don't have that many yet, but I'm looking forward to hearing them. Well, we are just eight away from that celebration now, so please send your congratulations in text, or, well, preferably in MP3 to sonicsociety at gmail.com. So, last week of Halloween, Jack? Absolutely. Tonight's feature, we have the latest incredible episode from Campfire Radio Theatre and John Ballantyne's The Rights of Autumn. And our short tonight is a new pod fiction series called A New Winter. It's a tale of murder in a small village in the UK. Have you heard that one yet? I haven't yet, no. You're a big fan of Podfix, so I, I found this and I thought you'd really find it in German. <laughs> but it does sound dire, so do be careful, my friend, the little UK well, village that you are. <laughs> yes. Well, to be honest, when you look at some of the dramas that are on the TV, there's things like Midsummer Murders, which has a village which has a death count um, <laughs> into the thousands, it seems like. <laughs> so, That's on Netflix now. Is it? It's a bit like when Jeff Jessica Fletcher goes around. Yeah, that's right. You can think that her small little village gets a fair amount of death and, and fraud and scandal. <laughs> that's right. uh, and yes, there are certain small towns and villages which seem to be cursed. You would think like the National Guard would come in, or I guess you it's, would have thought it, so. It's the terrestrial oh. army over there, isn't it? Kind of thing. Isn't that what you call it? A territorial army. Territorial yes. army. I <laughs> remember terrestrial from army. <laughs> terrestrial army. No, the territorial army. I remember from the Office. Ah, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> so, but. For for now, let's start tonight's episode with Campfire Radio Theatre's The Rights of Autumn, right here. On the Sonic Society. Welcome, friend. Have a seat by the fire. Make yourself comfortable.
slicing and peeling as a skilled surgeon into bare flesh. He labored as he had many times before until the task was done. Fresh innards shoved aside, ripe guts removed. It was the annual fall ritual. Now there was but one job remaining. Carving ever so carefully, he admired the work before him, an art form perfected. And the hollow face leered back and began to smile broadly, even as the blade dug ever deeper and deeper. You're listening to Campfire Radio Theater. Tonight we kick off our ode to the coveted haunting season with a tale harvested from the mind of John Ballantyne. So button tight that sweater, make certain your work is done, and brace yourself for an audio chill we call Rites of Autumn. Ghoulish Gary Chesterton here in the laboratory bringing you devilish delinquents your nightly dose of spooky hits. Plenty of fresh meat on the slab for tonight, kids. And you can take that all the way to the bank. The blood bank. <laughs> Let's fire it up, Eagle. Hello. Hi, honey. Are you having a fun time at Grandpa's? Uh-huh. So what are you doing? I'm just getting ready for Halloween. Oh, so you're helping out, huh? Yep, we're carving pumpkins. Oh, wow. Carving pumpkins. Yeah, hey, can you get me a costume? I thought you weren't up for trick-or-treating this year. Isn't that what you told me? I know. I changed my mind. Okay, we'll see. There's a few errands Mommy needs to run, and then I'll pick you up later, okay? I hope it's not too late to find something you want. Doesn't matter. Just something kind of scary. That should not be an issue. It's the most scary full time of the year. <laughs> but we need to be careful. We don't want to give a certain little boy bad dreams. I don't have the nightmares anymore, Mom. I know. You're doing a whole lot better, sweetie. But you remember what we talked about. You remember what Mommy said. There's no such thing as monsters. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I, I Look, I gotta go. So tell Grandpa I'll be by in just a bit, and make sure and behave. Okay? I will. Bye, Mom. Bye, honey. I love you. Hey, who was it, Kyle? Just Mom. Yeah, I guess she'll be coming for you soon. Well, I suppose I can still show you the fine art of pumpkin carving in just a few easy steps. Uh, Here, have a seat next to me, young fella. It's a discipline, you know. Requires concentration, a steady hand, and a sharp knife. Uh, You know, Kyle... Certain skills get passed down from uh, one generation to the next. Like carving pumpkins? Exactly, son. (laughs) Like carving pumpkins. I remember when I was a boy just about your age. This was a special time of year. But uh, things are different now. 
different? And more distractions these days. You've got video games and electronic toys, 24-hour TV, and a gazillion channels. <laughs> right back then, there was just you and the outdoors uh, and uh, imagination. Oh, yeah? What kind of things did you do? Oh, well, we had corn mazes and fall festivals, folks dressed up in sheets and <laughs> silly little outfits, whatever they could throw together. You know, we used to bob for apples this time of year. The world was a simpler place. Doesn't sound like much fun. Oh, but it was. It was a golden time. You'll recall your youth one day and feel the same way. Really? Well, certainly you will. This season, well, it still has a certain charm. A certain magic, I guess. Don't you feel it? Nah. Sure you do. Uh, take a deep breath. <sighs> Smell that Christmas in the air. Feel it in the pores of your skin. The color of the trees. I guess you always wish there was more time to savor those things. Are you okay? Fine, son. Just fine. <clears throat> so, uh, tell me about uh, these dreams you have. The nightmares you were talking about earlier. Do I have to? You always helped when I was a boy. It uh, helped to talk about them. You had nightmares? Oh, yes indeed, Kyle. Terrible nightmares. Things that tore me apart on the inside gave me a bad feeling, really bad. But you see, I was uh, lucky. I had a friend to talk to. A friend? Sure. My best friend, in fact. I called him Larry. And he told me what to do to feel better. You see, uh, I got picked on in school. Kids were mean. We moved around a lot. I was always a new kid in town. Didn't fit in. I was an easy target for those little bastards. That's a bad word, Grandpa. Oh, yes it is, Kyle, and don't you repeat it. Well, let me tell you something funny about my friend Larry, though. No matter where we moved to, Larry was there. And what's more, Larry knew how to make the nightmares go away. How did he do that? Larry was real smart, you see. He knew that I needed a purpose, a mission. Larry introduced me to the work. Work? Like a job? Uh, no, son. Uh, the work is... Um, it's hard to explain, really. It's like a therapy of sorts. Uh, an outlet for those bad feelings, the nasty impulses. Larry showed me how... Pouring those emotions into the work could drive the bad dreams away. Those nightmares, the nights of restless sleep, it all went away. Was Larry real? Like a real person? More real than any friend uh, I've ever had. He taught me things. Larry was, uh, well, he was very wise. What happened to him? Larry, I mean. And we grew apart as I got older. Drifted. Didn't see him much anymore. I suppose he had, uh, well, I suppose he had taught me everything I needed to know. Hi there. Sorry to interrupt. I'm selling tickets to the church carnival coming up tonight. Would you like to go? Well, 
Um, I don't know. Uh, let me see your flyer there. They're doing a trick-or-treat down the main street, a haunted hayride through the Whisper Meadow, and there's, like, a raffle for a laptop, surround sound stereo, fresh-baked goods, cookies, lots of cool stuff. It's only $2 per ticket. Well, that sounds like a good time, doesn't it, Kyle? Sure, I guess. Ah, that's what I'm talking about, a good old-fashioned Halloween carnival. We don't use the word Halloween, because I guess it, like, offends some people. That's why it just says Fall Carnival on the flyer. Of all the... Whoever heard of such foolishness? Yeah, I know, it's kind of silly. I'll take four tickets. My wallet's in the house. Uh, Let me grab you some cash, dear, and stay right here. Do you know if the neighbors are home? I rang the bell and nobody answered. I don't think so. Do your parents go to Bethel Baptist? No, we just moved back to town. You guys should join us. We've got a lot of kids your age. Good-sized youth ministry. It's really cool. So, this is your grandpa's house. Yep. Carving pumpkins, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, that one looks scary. It's not that scary. I mean, well, it's not like a monster or something. <laughs> no such thing as monsters, right? That's what mom says. There's no such thing as monsters. Hey, better be careful with that knife. It's, like, pretty sharp. <laughs> What was your name, dear? Carrie. Carrie. Such a lovely name. My folks live over in Brookhaven. Would you mind stepping into the house for a second, Carrie? Well... I've got an item that might be perfect for the carnival this evening. I really gotta be going. Of course. Still have a ton of tickets to sell. This'll just take a second. Now, I've got your money in here on the counter. Okay. Sure. It was really nice meeting you two. Step this way. It's in the next room. Is everything okay? The door's locked. What happened? Uh, Darn old doors lock themselves sometimes. Uh, I heard a scream. (laughs) A scream? (laughs) Oh, that. Oh, just having a little fun. Couldn't resist, you know. Guess it's the season we're in. What do you mean? I didn't realize the young lady would scare us so easily. I hope she'll forgive me. Oh, you should have seen her face, Kyle. You see, she went to pick up her money off the table there, and uh, as she did, I slipped on this old rubber mask. Well, she turned around, and I guess I must have given her one heck of a fright. (laughs) I don't believe she touched the floor twice on her way out the back door. She's gone? Shame, really. Such a sweet girl. Some folks spook easy. Hard to believe in this age. Well, young man, 
I'm going to grab our jack-o'-lantern so we can finish up on the kitchen table. like something's burning. Well, uh, that's just the jack-o'-lanterns. Lighted a few earlier while I was hauling up decorations. Now close that door and come have a seat at the table. Yeah, that's a good boy. Now, let's see, where were we? You look kind of pale. I just get a little winded these days. Not quite as spry as I once was. And the truth is, son, this old man, well, he won't be around much longer. Why? Here, Grandpa is sick. I have a terminal illness. Do you know what that means? I'm not sure. I'm dying, son. May not see another autumn, another Halloween. Maybe, can't you go to the doctor? Now, nothing more a doctor can do for me now, Kyle. There's a tumor growing inside my brain. I'll get weaker as time passes, grow sick. Soon I won't be able to get out of bed or use a damn toilet by myself. Bad word, Grandpa. Soon I won't even be able to talk. That's why this moment with you is vital. I want to pass on some things before I go. My knowledge... Things like... Uh, How to make pumpkins into jack-o'-lanterns. <laughs> exactly, my boy, exactly. <laughs> I'm really sorry that you're sick. Well, yeah, no use of dwelling on such things. Let's talk about something more cheerful. Well, I'm ready to carve the eyes. Ah, yes. Take great care at this stage. The eyes will reveal the nature of your creation. Careful. Careful with the blade. You asked me about Larry earlier. You asked me what happened to him. I told you we don't talk much anymore. Well, that's not entirely true. You see, uh, we talk once a year. We talk before almost every Halloween. It's our tradition. Why just Halloween? Well, because that's when the dreams return. The bad dreams the monsters. You talk to Larry about them? That's right. And we talk about the work. How do you do the work? Sometimes, Kyle, one must do things, terrible, terrible things, in, in order to chase away nightmares. Now, I know it's difficult to understand, but you're still a young man. But one night, when the world lies silent around you, silent as a tomb, You'll hear a voice speak to you. It'll call your name. Now don't be afraid, because this voice is your friend. And it'll tell you what must be done. 
It'll tell you of the work. And suddenly, all will be made clear. I'm not afraid, Grandpa. I know, my boy. There's no reason to be. So what do I do with the seeds? What's that? The seeds from the pumpkin. Ah, the seeds. Oh, you hold on to them. Let them dry. Now plant them, and you may just have your own pumpkin patch this time next year. Awesome! Well, looks like your mother is here. Yep, that's her coming to the front door now. Uh, say, why don't you go later in? Okay. And Kyle, remember what I told you? Remember what I said. Wow. What do you have all over your shirt? Pumpkin guts. For heaven's sake. We need to clean you up before we head home. You are not getting in my car like that. Pumpkin guts. Ugh. So who was that I saw you talking to at the kitchen table? That's my other grandpa. Your other grandpa? He's from Daddy's side of the family. Your grandpa Jay? Uh-huh. Grandpa Jay. Sweetie, your Grandpa Jay died before you were born. Mom, just ask him. Dad? He's right in there. Dad! Kyle, there's nobody in here. Where's your Grandpa? Your real Grandpa? Oh, he's not here. Grandpa Jay said he went out for a while. Kyle, that wasn't your Grandpa Jay. Is anybody here? Dad? Dad? This place is a complete mess. Oh my god. What's that? What's that smell? Oh, it smells like something's burning. It's the jack o' lanterns. What? The jack-o'-lanterns. Why are they down in the cellar? Kyle, why are there jack-o'-lanterns lit in the cellar? For God's sake, the whole house could go up in flames. What the hell is this? What is it, Mom? Don't come down here, Kyle. News with Gil Marshall. A shocking and gruesome discovery in Pleasant Heights today as nine bodies were recovered from the basement of a home in the otherwise tranquil subdivision. Details are still emerging, but a neighboring family and a teen girl, as well as the elderly homeowner, are believed to be among the victims, some of whom were reportedly decapitated in bizarre ritual-like fashion. Human skulls were found in the cellar of the home, and quoting one officer on the scene, they were lit like jack-o'-lanterns. 
There are no suspects in custody, but the authorities believe the slayings are connected to the semi-annual All Hallows serial killer that has remained at large over the past three decades with identical crime scenes in at least seven neighboring states. But one night, when the world lies silent around you, silent as a tomb, You'll hear a voice speak to you. It'll call your name. Now don't be afraid, because this voice is your friend, and it'll tell you what must be done. It'll tell you of the work. You've been listening to Campfire Radio Theatre. Tonight's tale, Rites of Autumn, was written, directed, and produced by John Ballantyne. Additional voice direction by Blaine Hicklin. Horror DJ material written and performed by Rich Wentworth. Featured in the cast were Joe Stavko as Grandpa, James Hicklin as Kyle, Shelby Sessler as Carrie, Tanya Milevich as the mother, Rich Wentworth as Ghoulish Gary, and Kevin Hartnell as the news anchor. Music by Kevin Hartnell. Halloween-themed songs by Mark Turner, The Zombie Dandies, The Vivisectors, and Kevin Hotnell. Sound design by John Ballantyne. Additional sound, courtesy of Free Sound Project. Mixing and post-production by John Ballantyne. Share the horror. And visit us at CampfireRadioTheatre.com and on Facebook at Campfire Radio Theatre. Ah, listen to them, the teenage rock and roll combos of the night. What terrible music they make. Kidding, kiddies. Nothing but the best for my ghouls. Ooh, what's that crawling out of the crypt? Is it the gruesome new smash hit from the plastic cadavers? Why, yes it is. And that means it's time to do the Frankenstein frug. Igor, get down from there. Here is for Mary, who is as can be. Now you'll find her buried underneath the tree. Oh, it's for Olga, who hissed like a snake. Now she's floating in the lake. They call me a monster, but I did it for love. They call me a monster, but push came to shove. They call me a monster, but how can that be? They call me a monster, but just you wait and see. It is for Nora, a loud southern bell. No, she's at the bottom of the well. And S is 
for Sarah, who smelled like a rat. She was consumed by a pig and a cat. <laughs> they call me a monster? I did it for love. They call me a monster? Well, push came to shove. They call me a monster. Well, how can that be? They call me a monster. Well, just you wait and see. I misunderstood. A really nice guy. I promise, I swear, that I never lie. You know I'm not crazy. I'm as sane as can be. <laughs> Just ask my shrink, who I buried in sea. T is for Tanya, who is always a bore. Most of her hides underneath the floor. E is for Esther, a habitual liar. She seems to have perished in a fire. Whoops. They call me a monster. You know I did it for love. They call me a monster. But push came to shove. They call me a monster. <laughs> How can that be? They call me a monster. But just you wait and see. Now R, that's for Rudy. That's my name if you care. And tonight, I'll be riding the electric chair. But I'll come back, just you wait and see. Because you're next on the list. Of my killing spree! <laughs> it won't be long now. If the great pumpkin comes, I'll still put in a good word for you. Good grief! I said if. I meant when he comes. I'm doomed. This is a story about a series of murders that happened in the winter of 2000. This is a new winter. So, a friend of mine suggested that I tell this story on a podcast. I was going to write a book about it, but she says that this is a better way of telling the story and that maybe hearing it from the horse's mouth might give it more weight and uh, credibility. Because, well, this is a story about what happened over the winter of 2000 in a small countryside town where I grew up. I can't tell you the exact name of the town because, well, I don't want to get anyone in trouble or worse yet, maybe even danger. But this is about a strange series of murders and disappearances that you would not have read in the media or heard anything about because of one simple reason, and that's no one wants you to know about it. I just want you to know that as I talk on here, I'm giving you my account from what I remember firsthand. I'll try and get the details right, I'll try and remember the exact words people used, but the truth is, some of it is hazier than others. But the important details, I remember those. If some things seem too fantastical to believe, then maybe there is another explanation, but I can't think of one. I've babbled too long now, but I think I should start with how it all started, and that's with the Stockwell family farm on a cold, harsh, snowy winter. Stockwheels, so you know, were Father Tim, 51, and Mother Lauren, 48, both of whom worked on the farm, their daughter Kate, who was 17, and their little brother Michael, who was just 10 years old. I was the same age as Kate at the time, and it seemed weird that this could even be real. But let's begin with the facts. Stockwheels were murdered, one by one, in their barn over the course of three days. They walked into there, one by one, of their own accord, at separate times over the three-day period. 
There were no signs of struggle, but the bodies were horribly mutilated, tortured it seems, but I'll come on to that later. And in the case of the mother Lauren and daughter Kate, there was evidence of sexual activity. When the police finally arrived, apart from the bodies, the only evidence they could find was one set of footprints, not belonging to the victims, but leaving the nearby forest at the edge of the farm and entering the barn. The strange thing being that there was nothing leaving the premises, which meant, in theory, whomever did it was still there, somewhere. They hadn't left. So, that was it. They were the first murders. And it's with them that this story starts. Now, as a town, we had heard the rumours of the murders. Mr Stockwell had gone crazy and done it himself, or maybe it was a wild animal, or a homeless man they had given shelter to, but who had different plans. Maybe it was a mass suicide. The Stockwells were notoriously religious, and this is at a time where, because of the millennium, there was a lot of cults and end-of-the-world stuff flying about. But none of that rang true for me. You see, Kate, the daughter, was a good friend of mine. They'd often gone round to their place to hang out. And yes, we'd had sex. Often, in fact. But we were never a couple as such. Friends with benefits, I guess it was called. It also felt like the whole thing was a lie. A set-up by the town for something like a simple disappearance. Why? I don't know. I just had a hard time with believing it. I first heard about it from my mate Rich. Not the most reliable of sources, but it had passed down the grapevine pretty quick from others. But none of us understood why it hadn't been in the papers. And until then, until I saw it in black and white in front of me, then in my head it still wasn't real. It hadn't happened. I mean, social media wasn't a bigger thing then. There was the internet, sure, but there was nothing on there about Kate and the family in the stock wheels. So what had happened? I mean, where was Kate? Was she really dead? I was still calling her after I found out, but all I got was a bog-standard automated voicemail reply. And I was sure that this was all just some nonsense. That was until, while I was watching TV with my brother, there was a knock on the door. I heard a few murmurs, expecting it to be one of Mum's friends or something, until Mum came in, ghostly pale, and told me the police wanted to talk to me. Selfishly, the first thing I thought of was, well, what had I done illegally lately? I mean, the list was pretty small. Not that I was a good boy or a bad boy, but I drank a lot, like any kid. I was smoking a lot of dope, and I'd started using cocaine, but never considered myself an addict or, you know, anything like that. It was all fun, and I thought I was some rock star, especially with the women. But when I walked into the kitchen, my mum, serving them up cups of tea in her best mugs, with half-eaten packets of McVitie's and a stale jam donut nobody wanted, it suddenly became all too real. I mean, I knew. I knew it was about Kate. I thought they'd be dressed in lousy suits or something like on TV, you know, like detectives. But they were dressed in regular police gear, like an everyday Bobby walking the streets. One male and female, both in their thirties, both very plain-looking, almost emotionless. To the police, at that point, I guess, I was a suspect. But that didn't occur to me until later. I mean, I'd been living with my mum and a typical 17-year-old. I'd been out in the town on many occasions. 
They never directly said I was a suspect, but I guess they must have looked into this at some point because they started by saying they had spoken to a few people and heard I was close with Kate. And there it was. Past tense. When I asked what happened, they said that she'd been found with the rest of the family in their barn and had sadly been murdered. So any information I could give to them would be crucial. So let me just pause here. As this had a huge effect on me and my life and also what would occur over that winter. When I heard that about Kate and that she was murdered, I mean, it was scary. I don't know if something like this has happened around you or worse yet to you, but it's quite hard to actually imagine that this person you knew, their face, their speech, their smile, all the little things that make them up as a character, as a person, all that had gone through this horrific experience. You don't think that when you're out at the pub or, you know, just having a laugh, that there's the slightest possibility that they would meet such an end. I mean, we're all hoping we're going to die old, in our own beds, peacefully in our sleep. But the sad truth is that it doesn't happen to everyone. Sitting in that kitchen, I remember quite vividly my mum listening in from outside the door. She was always terrible at trying to hide how nosy she was, but I didn't mind. I didn't have anything to hide. The truth was that I hadn't spoken to Kate for some time. There was no fallout. I mean, as far as I know, she hadn't been acting strangely or anything. It's just over the last few months, you know, we sort of lost touch. They asked me if that this drifting apart might have had anything to do with, well, anything in particular. An event, a relationship. And I told them if there was, I didn't know about it. The whole chat with the police didn't take long. I told them where I'd been, places, times. I even offered them to look through my texts, which they did briefly. I could tell in their eyes the case clearly wasn't going well that maybe in some weird way I'd been their golden egg, a young, jilted lover who has planned his revenge, but I'm just not like that, especially back then. All I wanted was an easy life. I was happy with my friends. I just brushed off any negativity. I was doing okay at school. Not great, but okay. I was starting to form friendships that would continue to this day. I was happy. There's no way I'd jeopardise that. And in terms of women, I was just finding out how amazing sex was. And I had a wandering eye that wouldn't settle on one woman for years to come. Obsessed with Kate? No way. But then, I guess someone could be. I should tell you a bit more about her, I guess. Well, from what I remember anyway. What can I say? I hope I don't do her too much of a disservice when I say she was cute, but she was... Simple. Her parents knew how to run a farm, and even though she would try hard at school, she found it difficult to learn anything slightly academic. The one thing she loved was clothes, and she'd started to get into that whole phase of thinking a pop guitar group or actually a rock group. It's sweet, but for me, she just had nothing to offer, apart from a slight sexual appetite, which I was more than happy to indulge her in. I mean, looks-wise, she had wavy long red hair, small dimpled face with those big anime style eyes there's no doubt that she was pretty the only thing that would drive me mad was her voice it was high and whiny often going up at the end of sentences like she was asking a question all the time 
For me, it made her look like every other girl that walks down the high street in those packs. Airheaded, gossip infatuated clones. But then, she was a kid, and so was I. I did think I was extremely cool, and for a small town I probably was. But when I did finally move to London, it was clear that I needed to reevaluate myself. And once I was able to get the offence of that winter out of my mind, I was able to move on. But back to the year 2000, and I'm sitting in my mum's kitchen. The interview was finishing up, I'd given them some other names of mutual friends, other people they could talk to. But near the end of the talk, they suddenly wanted to know more about Tim, Kate's dad. In hindsight, I guess he was the prime suspect until the other murders happened that winter. But the guy was never really there when I was there. Thank God. From Kate, it sounded like he was a devout Christian who would often blow up about nothing. I think he was probably just old and tired, done with the farming life and generally unhappy. It probably didn't help his case with my completely uninformed opinion, but I was trying to help and answer honestly, and, well, I mean, he was dead. Then that was it. They got up and left, and I sat there, not quite sure what to do. My mum made me a cup of tea, but I didn't say a word for a while. Then I got up, went back to the lounge, kept on watching TV with my brother until I got tired and decided to go to bed. But just before I'd gone in, I checked my phone, and I saw that I got a text. There was a girl I knew, Jackie, asking if I was still up and if I could drive over. Of course, I thought that this was some kind of booty call, but... When I asked why, the reply wasn't what I expected. I looked down and had to read it a couple of times. It simply said, It's about Kate. On the next episode, I'll be talking to you about what I found out about Kate, a secret life that she had, and also what else was happening in the town and why everyone was suddenly so scared. We've got an email address. Feel free to write in a new winter podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the first episode of A New Winter. And that's this week's show. Please leave us notes and messages at sonicsociety at gmail.com. Come find us at the Sonic Society Facebook group, Sonic Society on Twitter, or Astro Tour 2010 for me. Check out evicuna.com for more great original electric Vicuna productions. And until next week, I'm David Alt. And I'm Jack Ward. Good night. Night. Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews, and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening.
This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Hey, Billy, why do you look so down? Aw, oh, Dad, I got a computer, a PlayStation, and a barn full of iguanas, and I'm still bored. <sighs> Gee, Billy, when I was your age, I would read lots of stories in pulp magazines. Oh, with stories of weird adventure and fantasy, horror, satire, and lots of action. Wow, that sounds great, Dad. Yeah, I sure wish there was something like that right now. <laughs> there is, Daddy-O. Who are you? I'm Dr. Mary Von Roxbrocket, host of the Twisted Pulp Radio Hour. And now there's... Twisted Pulp Magazine! <laughs> What's that, Doctor? Why, it is a return to greatness! Available on all your digital devices! That is what it is! Look! Whoa! Dad, this looks awesome! Exciting and, dare I say it, very unwholesome! You definitely have that right, my good man! <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Mary! My pleasure, Billy! And just between you and me, I am not sure that this man is really your father. Bye! Dad? Uh, just read your Twisted Pulp magazine, Billy. Twisted Pulp magazine! Available in dark alleyways behind meth labs everywhere! Or at digitalvaudeville.com That is D-I-G-I-T-A-L-V-A-U-D-E-V-I-L-L-E dot com!